In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Christ is risen just as much today as he was on that first Easter. It's good for us to remember uh, three, three weeks since. The same Easter message remains for us today, and even our gospel lesson won't let us forget that we still live in that Easter joy. Today's gospel lesson has us on the afternoon of the first Easter on these two, with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So we can remember on that first Easter morning, as, as the women had gone to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body, and they saw the angels saying that he's not here, he's risen, and they go running back to Jerusalem to tell the good news. And they get back there, and it's that same room where the disciples were hiding that Jesus would return later that night. And he'd come and say, peace be with you, show his hands and his, and his side, and forgive their sins, and send them out to proclaim forgiveness to the world. So it's just before that where our gospel lesson picks up today, as in that room in the morning, on Easter morning, when the women had come running back and saying, you won't believe it, we saw, we saw the angels telling us Jesus had risen. And, and there was a couple disciples, one named Cleopas, that actually church history holds to possibly be the uncle of Jesus. And then another disciple is not named. They don't buy it. And they are kind of like entrenched in their hopelessness. And they go back to Emmaus, probably where they were from before. And as they're going on the road back to Emmaus, they're kind of thinking about how they had been duped. Because remember, if Jesus died, in their minds, everything collapsed. Everything about Jesus hinged on him actually not dying in their minds. So for Jesus to have died, it shows that they've been duped and they've got this shame for that. And also uh, lots of other hopelessness that we'll talk about here in a second. And it's to them as they're walking on this road, having this conversation that Jesus shows up. Now, as Jesus shows up, I think it's really fun to think about the personality of Jesus at that moment. His entire life up to this point had been lived dreading a very, very painful death. And not just the death on the cross, but also the wrath of God. So his entire life was spent like every day drawing a little bit closer to death. So there was like a darkness glooming over his life. And, and for us too, with, as death kind of looms around the corner for, for each of us, death, we're in this death's dark valley in this world. We know what that's like to kind of live with this awareness of our inevitable death. And every day we're kind of drawing nearer to it. But as Jesus, who has now risen from the dead on that Easter day, every moment that he is alive, he's getting further and further away from death. So once before he was kind of like maybe growing increasingly sorrowful, now he's growing increasingly joyful and excited and there's nothing holding him back from that joy. And so everywhere he goes, I mean, as we've heard on Easter morning, he appears to Mary, he appears to the other women. So he's got this excitement to him. He's happy to see everyone. And they're excited to see him. Everywhere he goes, there's a joy. And so here he comes, he pops in on these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but he keeps, he keeps them from seeing him. They don't recognize him. And there's a reason for it. Jesus is teaching them and us something very important in this morning's gospel. Because it would have been fun for Jesus to say, jump out and say, hey guys, and they would have been, it's Jesus. Everybody else saw it in the same way. But Jesus holds them back. And he instead walks up and doesn't say, it's me, happy Easter. Instead, he says, what is this conversation you're having as you walk together on the road? A really, really long way for him to say, 
what are you guys talking about? And as they say, they talked about Jesus, who he thought was a great prophet, mighty in teaching indeed, and he was betrayed and, and died. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the answer to all of this brokenness. So it wasn't just that they were sad and gloomy because their friend Jesus was dead or that he had been betrayed and, and unjustly killed. It was much bigger than that. They were, they were hopeless because they had thought Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. So we want to sit on that hopelessness for a second and, and, and just contemplate what it was like for those guys. Their entire life, from childhood on, as they're hearing the scriptures read, they're constantly hearing the story of the failure of their people. From, from the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden to all the kings. I mean, you go down the line, King Saul, King David, Solomon, Rehoboam, all the kings of Israel are riddled with sin and have failed in some significant way. All the kings in Israel's history, one after another, fail. And then we have the great exiles, Israel kind of cast off into the other nations. And then when they are brought back to Israel, the temple is just, has been destroyed and it's just a, a glimpse of what it once was. All of Israel's history is broken and longing to be restored. Up to that day, as they're walking on the road to Emmaus, even, even that day, Rome had taken over them. Their, their, their own nation is being ruled, ruled over by, by pagans. And they've got no hope. And that's the national, that's the brokenness and hopelessness at the national level. But then there's also the personal level. Jesus, as they had seen Jesus going around forgiving sins of, of prostitutes and sinners, so Jesus was the answer to their sin. But if Jesus is dead, then they're still in their sin. Jesus was, was casting out demons, showing his power over the devil. He was healing sicknesses and even raising the dead. So Jesus was the answer to, the, to death and sickness and the devil. And if Jesus is, is dead, then all those problems are still theirs. And they're just despairing. And it's hitting them all at once. And the way I, can, I think it'd be helpful to picture this. So imagine if you are in a car driving to Chicago with a friend. And as you're sitting, you're sitting in the car. And since it's your friend, what, think about just like these guys on the road to Emmaus, they're having a conversation. Now, if you've got a friend, kind of what characterizes a friendship is your ability, your, your trust in them because that gives you this ability to actually talk to them about real things, the real problems in your life. You open up to them with some challenges that you're facing, the hardships, and you're, you're wanting some, some, some sympathy from them to commiserate with you perhaps, but really for them to encourage you. Maybe they've got some advice on how to get out of this problem that you're in. That's the nature of our conversations with our, with our friends. We talk about the challenges and the brokenness in this world. And if you, if you intentionally, by the way, if you say, you know what, I want to be a more positive person. I don't want to talk about the brokenness in this world. Then you're still making an intentional effort to avoid the brokenness. So my point is that brokenness of this world is, is completely everywhere. It's, it's whittled its way into every part of our lives and it's in all of our conversations. So then as you're having this conversation with your friend in the car on the way to Chicago, you maybe turn on the radio, which of course is the country music station. And what are they singing about? But how the dog has died and the, and the, and the wife left him and the, he lost his job and everything's falling apart, right? And that's not just country music because all the cliches of that, but all of music in this way 
is showing for us the brokenness of this world, from broken relationships and the challenges that we face, or it's trying to distract us from the brokenness of the world and paper over it in some way. So we're not thinking about the challenges that we're facing and the death that we have to face and all the sufferings. And then as the song ends, a commercial comes on the radio, and it's of course a political ad with some politician telling us how he's gonna fix the brokenness in his way better than the other guy acknowledging more and more of the, of the brokenness. And then the next commercial about something that's gonna reverse the, the signs of aging, some product that's gonna miraculously make your hair grow back, right? To, to make your waistline shrink and to give you more health or something. And that's all the brokenness that's just in the conversation within your car. And then you look out the window and you see billboard after billboard, the divorce attorney, billboard sign, the, you've been injured in a car wreck billboard, the, the billboard uh, campaigning for some sort of a Planned Parenthood situation, or some dance club of some immoral type situation, let the reader understand. Brokenness, and, and we said, but since you're looking out the window, you've slowed down a little bit, so in that moment, you get a loud honk, honk of the guy blowing past you and gives you the greeting finger and anger wells up inside of you, and this anger, and you look back out the window, and you see there a broken car on the side of the road, and all the litter of the streets of Chicago, and the dead deer carcass, because all of creation groans with this death and brokenness. Our world is full of brokenness, and it longs for relief. And then imagine then, at that moment, you, you, some of you blink your eyes, and then everything clears out. It is clean. There's no traffic. There's no billboards. It is pristine, perfect, calm. All the burdens that you had earlier have been lifted off your shoulders. Your hair came back, praise the Lord. All these wonderful things. And then you, and you're just realizing how great everything is. Then you blink again, and everything is back. All the stuff that you made, you, you didn't really notice before how bad it was. And now it all hits you at once. All of the brokenness, all the problems come rushing back in and hits you. And man, this place is broken. This world is falling apart and my life is riddled with brokenness. That's the way these disciples were thinking. Everything came back and hit them at once. They had hoped Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. They had the solution. They had the clarity. Everything had been cleared out and clean, and it was good. They had the answer. And then Jesus died. And if Jesus is dead, then all these problems come rushing back. And they're in, as the text says, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And now they are hopeless and despairing. And it's at that moment that Jesus appears to them, and he brings them hope. Now, it's interesting here, so notice why they grew hopeless. They were expecting, and if you, if you remember anything from the sermon, I think this is the best, this is the most helpful thing I, I, I would argue. The hopelessness of these disciples was caused because they were actually expecting God to save them on their own terms. They're expecting a savior. They're hoping for a savior who is gonna save according to power, smash Rome, restore Israel on their terms. And when God didn't deliver on their terms, they gave up. They walked to Emmaus. They threw in the towel on God. And this is the same thing the devil tries to do to us. 
to have us trying to hold God to some sort of expectation that he has not promised and say, if there's a God who's powerful and if he loves me, then he's going to save me from these problems in this way. He's going to take away the cancer. He's going to fix the relationship in this way. He's going to solve these problems. He's going to have this leader elected into office. And if he doesn't deliver, then I'm going to lose hope. I'm going to question God's love or his presence, and I'm going to walk off. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do, to have trying to, to, to look at God and be hoping for God to save us on our terms and not his. So what he does for the disciples, it, by showing up to them and having their eyes be closed, he wants them to have the joy of them being saved from the scriptures themselves. So it's not just Jesus walking up to them and saying, hey guys, it's me, but he closed their eyes and he opens to them the scriptures and shows how all of the scriptures all along have been leading up to this point. From the seed of the woman that was supposed to crush Satan's head to the lamb of God and the lamb of the Passover that's gonna be covering the death of the people throughout all the history of Israel time and throughout the scriptures. All of this is pointing to Jesus, the necessity of Jesus to die. The Redeemer, the Messiah is gonna die for the people. That's the way he wants to bring joy by dying for the people. That's the way he wants to be known. And so he restores the hope of those disciples by showing to them the scriptures and, the, and how Jesus gives us hope and peace and joy. The way he restores the brokenness is not our terms, but his. He dies for the world and he remains with us. So then as, now at this point, the disciples still don't recognize him. And, they're, and it's starting to get dark outside, and so it's, it's supper time, and they invite Jesus in. Jesus, has said, the text says, he, he pretends to keep going, but they say, hey, Jesus, they, well, they don't call him Jesus, they don't know who he's, Jesus. He, random guy in the road, can you stay with us? Stay with, we want your presence to stay with us, to abide with us, as we sing in the hymn, abide with me. Abide with us, guy, because you're giving us hope in this conversation. And so he sits down, if you look at the text, it follows the words of institution. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And the bells go out, like their eyes are open, they see it. The last time they saw Jesus, he was given the Lord's Supper. Now he's doing it again. And they see it, their eyes are open, and Jesus is holding the bread, and he, as the text says, he disappears. Which I always picture at that point, the bread just falls, falls on the table. And Jesus wants to be known. His presence is... His presence is for us in the breaking of the bread. It's in the Lord's Supper. So he doesn't pop out to us on the road to Emmaus and say, hey guys, but he has indeed risen. He is the hope that those disciples were longing for because he's he, not dead. He is alive. He has overcome all of those problems, sin, death, and the devil. And he lives. It's not just that he died, but he died and rose. He lives and he remains with us. He would have us know it in the, through, through hearing his word, which is really what characterizes our worship experience together. God having his word proclaimed to us and us receiving his body and blood, the breaking of the bread. He wants to be known and he's dwelling with us and making himself present with us. And then he continues to join us in our conversations with one another. Just as he jumped in on the road to Emmaus with these guys, he gives us that same hope in our conversations still today. Because now with the, with the true hope of Jesus, we're able to bring, bring hope and life and joy into such a 
it's such a broken world. That same broken world that we saw in the drive to Chicago, it's still there. And we're not going to distract from it or ignore it or try to paper over it. But Jesus actually has solved it. He is the solution, the eternal, the eternal solution that is our current hope and our joy and our peace. So we get to speak that to our neighbor in our, in our relationships, in our marriages. We're able to speak that word of hope and forgiveness and life to our friends who are suffering. We can bring the mercy of Jesus and speak his life and his, his hope into that. So that in all of our conversations, we rejoice together that Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.